editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. I'm in studio dolo today. In studio dolo. So if you are joining us via the, I guess you could say the podcast version of the show, the recorded version of the show, we appreciate you guys, whether you're listening on SoundCloud or another platform that we should be announcing very, very shortly. And also, thank you if you're watching via our Facebook Live channel. We appreciate you guys. In case you guys want to go ahead and follow that Facebook, you guys can follow it at the Talk That Talk radio show. In addition to Facebook, Instagram is the same. SoundCloud is the same. It's Talk That Talk radio show. The Talk That Talk radio show is a part of the Talk That Talk media company, which also you guys can go ahead and follow on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram, all that Talk That Talk media company all spelled out. The only thing that's different for the media company is the Twitter. That is TTT Media Company. Same thing with this radio show. It's a little different. On Twitter, it's Talk That Talk LV. Don't have Matt in the studio today. Don't have Daryl in the studio. Don't have Duna in the studio. Just in here, Dolo. You guys know how that typically plays out. It, it may mean that I'll get out of here maybe 15 minutes earlier. I looked at the, the notes today, and maybe it says 15 minutes early. I may get out of here, but... We'll see. We'll play it by ear. We'll see. Uh, nevertheless, let's go ahead and discuss my mom's tip-in for today. My mom sent me a, a couple of tip-ins the past couple of days, and I, I really like this one. This one kind of stuck to me. The man who has faith that his plans will yet carry, despite all adverse—excuse me, despite all adversity and sorrow—is the man who will win through thick and thin. Once again, I had to put my own spin on this, but I'm going to read it one more time. The man who has faith that his plans will yet carry, despite all adversity and sorrow, is the man who will win through thick and through thin. Shout out to my mom for sending that quote from David V. Bush. We appreciate my mom's tip-in for that. My dad's tip-in is baseball-related, so we're going to end the show with my dad's tip-in. Uh, but let's 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 talk some sports, guys. Let's talk some sports. Gonna start with a quick hit. Gonna start with uh the news that broke. Probably could look at my phone and still find out when the news broke. I'm not sure I've even cleared the notification just yet. But the news that Serena Williams will be evolving away from tennis. I want to go ahead and highlight that mainly for first of all for a couple of reasons. But congratulations, <laughs> congratulations to Serena Williams for coming to this conclusion and not being forced to it like a lot of the discussions that we have here on the show one of our revolving questions is how do you ask your legend your goat to walk away sometimes it gets difficult sometimes you don't want to actually ask and and i'm not really sure that people have been asking for serena to hang him up but she did admit that she's going to evolve and this is an exact quote from her she's going to evolve away from tennis that's important to mention that she used the word evolve as opposed to retire. 
Because who knows whether Serena will come back after this year's U.S. Open. But she left the door open. So Evolve versus Retire. The reason why I think that's so interesting, you guys know uh, the OD podcast that we do. We discuss this a lot, right? Words mean things. And we discuss rappers that sit that they're retiring. And we're like, fam, no, you're not. There's no way in hell you're retiring. Serena never said she was retiring. So when we see Serena Williams playing again, nobody can ever say that she unretired. She never retired the first time. But what does evolve away from tennis mean? Well, she'd like to focus on some other things. That doesn't mean that she won't be back. She did say this. There comes a time in life when we have to decide to move in a different direction. Retirement is coming for Serena Williams. Serena Williams, based on this, does not appear that she's treating her retirement as if she's ripping off a Band-Aid. She's going to slowly step away from it. What does that look like? Does she pull a tiger and only play in bigger events? Does she show up for spectacles? In what capacity do we see Serena Williams in the game of tennis? While that remains to be seen, let's talk about the obvious question that so many people are asking themselves today and have been asking themselves the past couple of days, is where does Serena Williams fall on your on your GOAT list? Where does Serena Williams fall on your GOAT list? Keep in mind, I didn't say anything about greatest tennis player of all time. I didn't say anything about greatest woman athlete of all time I said go when you look at physical ability when you look at dominance of a sport when you look at longevity What names come to mind in the greatest to ever do it? Tiger Woods comes to mind. You can name several boxers, right? You can name Muhammad Ali. You can name Floyd Mayweather Jr. You can name Sugar Ray Robinson. Of course, you throw Brady in there. You throw Jordan in there. Serena Williams is in that category as... One of the greatest to ever do it. Shout out to Fred Hassan right now in the, in the chat. 
Finn the bat dog. I agree. I think Finn has actually graduated to a point to where we have this conversation in sports all the time. People that are known by one name, whether it's Kobe, LeBron, Steph, Finn is there. Finn is definitely up there. I think if anybody wanted to narrow down all the greats across every sport, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more complete resume than Serena Williams. I'd be shocked if people didn't have Serena Williams in their top five greatest athletes to ever live. I would. I'd be a little shocked. Serena Williams makes this announcement to evolve away from tennis. I like how universally it appears that the sports world acknowledged the loss that that would be for not only the game of tennis, but the sports world when Serena Williams finally does hang up her racket. Three eleven. about 10 minutes into the show. We got a full show for you guys. As I said before, I'm in the studio by myself. If you guys are just now joining us, we appreciate you guys. Welcome to the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. I'm in the studio dolo, but I got some Aces news for you guys. I got some Aviator news for you guys. I got Raider news for you guys also. Going to detail how my weekend went. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and hop into some of that right now. Um... The Aces, the Aces, the Aces, the Las Vegas Aces have been dealing with a season of questions, right? Season of questions. Ironically enough, none of the questions were about the team's talent. That's been the last question that anybody has brought forth when it came to the Aces under first year head coach Becky Hammond. The Las Vegas Aces closed their regular season yesterday. They closed their regular season with a matinee matchup against the Seattle Storm, in which they won 109-100, ending their season on a four-game winning streak, and 8-2 and in their last 10 games before ending the regular season. This win over Seattle solidified that this Las Vegas team will be Number one, will be they will be the number one seed in this year's WNBA playoffs. Technically speaking, they're in a tie with the Chicago Sky atop of the, atop of the, the, the WNBA standings. However, Vegas owns a tiebreaker. Vegas took two of the three meetings this regular season in addition to the Commissioner's Cup. But who's counting? So this game gives them... The number one overall seed, they do it in front of a record attendance. They do it in front of a record audience of 10,015 people packed inside of the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay, also known as the house. They packed the house. Man. In case you wanted to add any other theatrics to it, any other 
anything else that you can kind of that would that would make it a story. Just sprinkle the fact that it's Sue Bird's last regular season game on top. Just sprinkle that on top. Prior to the start of the game, the Las Vegas Aces gifted Sue Bird a customized leather jacket. That jacket is hard, guys. I don't know if you guys have seen that jacket. That jacket is absolutely insane. Vegas does it right, man. Vegas does it right. Leather jacket, customized. Got Sue as the logo. All of her accomplishments. Got some cards that have small details of Sue Bird. You got four tens on there. You got a full set of tens up there. Unfortunately, similar to Sue's last regular season home game, Sue's last regular season game ended in a loss to the Las Vegas Aces. Again, this one was 109 to 100. I'm pretty sure Becky Hammond was still not happy about giving up 100 points in the team season finale. They had been doing pretty well defensively. I mean, she did highlight the, the, the quarter against Dallas, the quarter against Atlanta, but they have had moments since this All-Star break I believe they're 11 and 3 after the All-Star break. Something like that. But she pointed to the defense. And now you're in a situation where even in a regular season finale, you're giving up 100 points. You score 109. This is not the defense that I'm hoping, uh, I'm sure Becky is hoping, shows up in the, the WNBA playoffs this particular year. Guard Chelsea Gray. Led all scores with 33 points, a career-high 33 points for her. At one point in that fourth quarter, she scored 10 straight points. She scored 10 straight points in that third quarter, in that fourth quarter, excuse me, and commanded everyone's attention in the building, everyone's attention on the floor, everyone who was donning. Seattle colors had to keep an eye on Chelsea Gray. In fact, this play toward the end of the game really kind of told the story. Jewel Lloyd, who who exploded for 38 points, eight made three-pointers, I believe one off from tying the WNBA record of nine. She drives through the lane. She's met at the rim by Kia Stokes. Keep in mind, guys, Kia Stokes, in case you guys have not been following this, this Aces season, Kia Stokes is into the starting lineup now due to De'Erica Hamby suffering a right knee bone contusion. I believe she was diagnosed last week and She's set to miss two to four weeks. Becky Hammond said after the regular season that it would be difficult to get De'Erica back. Not to mention, 
Dierica's in their long-term plans. So they had they're in no rush to rush her back. So Kia Stokes gets a huge block on Jewel Lloyd. It goes out of bounds. Seattle retains possession. Seattle goes to former MVP Brianna Stewart, who is met by Asia Wilson for the block. Chelsea Gray gets the rebound. She looks ahead to an open Kelsey Plum who drains a three. Kelsey Plum ended the night with 23 points. Chelsea Gray, in addition to her 33 points, she also pulled in seven rebounds. I believe it was seven rebounds, nine assists. Just to give you an idea of the type of game that the point guard Chelsea Gray had. And she had the game in front of another point guard. Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns was sitting front row. Front row. I believe two seats away from Raiders owner Mark Davis. You know what? Speaking of that, we're not getting to the Raiders right now, but I do want to speak about this while we mentioned Raider ties at the Aces game. Why were so many people making so much of Darren Waller being at the Aces game? Hmm. So, Darren Waller is currently injured. Darren Waller was not going to play in the Raiders preseason home opener against the Minnesota Vikings. Darren Waller has supported the Aces every chance he's gotten this season. What I truthfully think, I'm going to be honest, I truthfully think that people aren't aware of how often Darren Waller is at these games. In fact, I talked to Darren Tuesday, and we planned for this story to come out on Sunday, and it dropped yesterday. We promoted it today. But we did a story, a feature story about Darren, and he discussed his love for basketball and where it came from, his influences, the fact that he played. For those of you guys who don't know, Darren Waller's father is from New York. In many people's eyes, the basketball mecca, right? You got the garden there. You got Rucker Park there. You have, culture, as I mentioned in the story, I believe, you have cultural and professional influences in New York when it comes to the game of basketball. Darren Waller said he's played basketball since five before fully turning his attention to his profession, football, right? However, he pointed to his sister, Deanna, and I hope I'm not pr pronouncing that wrong. I had to look up the name, but Deanna Waller. And he mentioned that not only does she play ball, but she had Lisa Leslie posters on the wall. And he said he's always been familiar with the WNBA game, and now he gets an opportunity to watch it up close. The one question I didn't get to ask Darren, and it kind of escaped me, but it's pretty hard to be viewed as, like, the Jack Nicholson of any team, right? 
We know how Jack loves his beloved Lakers. But Darren sits by the opposing coach. He cheers, he yells, he rants, he raves. He's an Aces super fan. Why were people making that a bigger thing than what it is? Maybe because he's hurt. I think it's even more of the reason why he's at the game. Not going to play. Nursing an injury. I guess. Maybe that's just me. There's a lot of people in attendance last night. Or yesterday, I should say. Kyle Lowry was in the building. Devin Booker was in the building. Michael Bridges was in the building. Trey Young was in the building. Orlando Skandrick is a familiar face that we see in the in, in the in the front row. Gucci row, right? Let's talk about it. The win solidified the first spot in the WNBA playoffs for the Aces. The Aces Actually, let's, let's 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 hold off on that. The entire bracket is set, obviously, and the playoffs are set to begin to a lie Wednesday. I lied to you guys. My bad. Wednesday. The number two seed Chicago Sky there matched up with the number seven New York Liberty. Now, keep in mind, guys, there's a new format this year to the WBA playoffs. We have three. Full rounds now. We have a best of three, a best of five, and another best of five in the WNBA Finals. So now you have round one. We have one through eight locked into a three-game series. So you have Chicago and New York on one side of the bracket. Up under them, you have the three and six matchup. You have Connecticut and the number six Dallas Wings. Now, Dallas will play the remainder of this season, of this playoff run, I should say, without star Enrique Ogumbawale. But Dallas took two of the three meetings during the regular season against Connecticut. Going to be interesting to watch. I think if we were to get a finals rematch between Chicago and Connecticut, it'd be interesting. On the other side of the bracket, the Aces, they will open their 2022 playoff run with a three-game series against the Phoenix Mercury, a rematch of last year's semifinal matchup. Or I take the back. It was a second-round matchup. All these tournament changes are throwing me off, but it is a rematch from last year's postseason. It was a five-game series last year in which Phoenix took game five at the house. They took it at the Michelob Ultra Arena. A lot of you guys, if you if you were familiar with the team at the time, a lot of you guys remember just the images that are burned into our heads from that from that night, from that press conference. This is an important time to mention that Brittany Griner is still not home.
She's still not. So while we sit here and gear up for a WNBA postseason, let it sink in and marinate that Brittany Griner has been gone for the entire season. The entire season. Now, everybody would like to play teams at their full strength. This is not the case in this Phoenix Mercury situation. I think back to Phoenix being an eight seed. I mean, if Brittany Griner was here, I don't think anybody expects for Phoenix to be an eight seed. In fact, Phoenix is probably a top four seed. If Phoenix is a top four seed with Brittany Griner, I don't know what this playoffs look like. With Brittany Griner on this team, I don't know if Skylar Diggins Smith's ha- if Skylar Diggins Smith has the blow up that she has. I don't know that Tina Charles wants out, but it happened. Phoenix still gets to the postseason. And if the Aces were to get past Phoenix, they would have the winner of the 4-5 matchup, which is currently occupied by Seattle and Washington. Teams that finish with identical records. Here's what most Aces fans don't want to hear. We're not supposed to look forward too far in sports, right? But we typically do. We look a little. We look, we look ahead a little bit. If the Aces were to take care of Phoenix, and let's say that the five seed upsets the four seed, we have a Las Vegas-Washington matchup. After a regular season in which Washington took all three games from Las Vegas. What happens then? I do think that's what happened last year. I'm not going to say the players did. I'm not going to say the coaches did. I'm not going to say anything like that. But there were some fans, perhaps some media members, who were looking past Phoenix. We'll see what happens this year. The playoffs do begin on Wednesday for the Aces. Their game one begins on Wednesday. August 17th at 7 p.m. I got some other women's basketball news. Big news for the Lady Rebels. Their non-conference schedule is officially out. 
It's officially out, so I'm going to run down this non-conference schedule for your reigning Mountain West regular season and tournament champion UNLV Lady Rebels. You ready? You guys want the exhibition? The exhibition is against Chico State, in case you guys care, at the Cox Pavilion. These are all home games, guys. You got Pepperdine, Oral Roberts, Utah Valley, CSU Bakersfield. These are also home games right here, but it's a Thanksgiving tournament. In case you guys are unfamiliar why this Thanksgiving tournament takes place, it takes place because Lindy LaRock said, hey, we want to play three, three games in three days come March. We're going to get used to it in November. That's what this Thanksgiving tournament is for. UNLV will play games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday after Thanksgiving. That's the 25th, the 26th, and the 27th. It begins with a matchup against Albany, 11 a.m. Friday after Thanksgiving. Then you have four straight road games before a final home, non-conference home game for getting out of there. First trip goes to California. They're headed to Stockton to take on the Pacific Tigers. After that, they have two games, back-to-back -back games in Hawaii. One is on December 7th and one is on December 11th. The first one is University – or excuse me, the first matchup is the University of Hawaii at Hi at Hilo. And I hope it's not Hilo. Am I, am I wrong on that? I told you I ain't never been nowhere, right? And then on December 11th, they're playing the University of Hawaii. Rainbow Wahine. Sorry about that. And then they're headed to Stillwater, Oklahoma. December 18th of this year to take on Oklahoma State before rounding out their non-conference schedule with the Northern Arizona matchup on December 21st from the Cox Pavilion. Lindy LaRock and company ready to avenge last year's ending. Got bounced. First round of the tournament. By Arizona, a lot of people question the matchup, the seeding, right? I think, I think it was a 4-13 matchup. The winners of the Mountain West regular season and conference tournament seeded 13th. Okay. I don't know, man. You guys make sense of that. But I'll tell you what, Lindy LaRock and, and, her, and her husband, they're expecting. So I believe November 20th. Am I, am I around there? No, November, November, November. Maybe I don't even know the date, but it's November is when they expect to have, I believe, baby Cunningham is what the 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 reports or the, sorry, the caption said on Instagram. Uh, at least a few of these games, a handful of these games, Lindy LaRock may not be able to coach in person. However, the program has announced, and this is actually a couple weeks ago, but Roman Owen, somebody who we've mentioned plenty of times on his radio show, especially while covering the team last season, Roman Owen, who has been a head coach before, was promoted this offseason to assistant head co associate head coach, excuse me. So I think we know who's taking 
the reins when Lindy the Rock is no longer able come this November. We're going to talk some football for a little bit. Going to probably talk football for the rest of this first hour. But let's talk to Raiders. Let's talk Raiders. So. The Raiders. Okay, so I, I think I have it now. Kind of. Let's do this. <laughs> I said after the Hall of Fame game that I was unaware of whether the Raiders looked really good or if Jacksonville looked really bad. I'm here to let you guys know, upon further review, as I mentioned before, I think both are true. I think the Raiders look pretty good. I do. The Jags are going to be bad until, they, until Doug Peterson can implement what he wants to implement. I think they'll have a, 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 a nice close to the year. Doug Peterson was a nice pickup. But let's talk Raiders. I want to start with the defense for a second because the defense didn't allow a touchdown into the third quarter. We understand starters aren't playing for the other side, but so what, guys? In this day and age, we don't have very much to be proud of when it comes to certain Las Vegas sports, right? It's preseason, I know, but this is important to do. This is important to shed light on. Because it's a confidence booster. Regardless. When your techniques and your schemes work in the game of football, it's a confidence boost. It's a confidence builder. It's a confidence builder in any sport, but I would think football probably one of the highest. So much preparation, so much preparation, so much work. For 60 minutes. Once a week. Sometimes they have it twice a week, and that's insane. But... The Raiders take care of business in this one. They have a four-point lead at halftime, and they eventually give up that first score, first touchdown, I should say, in the third quarter. They end up winning this one 26-20. I want to highlight the rushing game because Zamir White got the start. While Josh Jacobs did not play in this one. Zamir White averaged 2.6 Yards on his five carries for a total of 13 yards. He did have a long of seven. Kenyon Drake shared that long, seven yards as well, during his four-carry, 15-yard outing. Britton Brown, he scored a touchdown on the ground. He actually led all rushers in the game with 54 yards on 14 carries. The Raiders as a whole rushed for 140 yards on 39 carries, it's only a 3.6 average, but I shouldn't say only, right? That's a three and a half point average. Or I said three and a half point. Three and a half yard average, pardon guys. 
getting a lot of looks at the at, at the depth, right? We talked about the depth of this running back room. Hell, even the depth of receiver, right? We're going to get to receivers in a second. Jared Stidham had the only other rushing touchdown of the day. It's actually a second of the preseason getting the start in Josh McDaniels. Offense again, he actually threw the ball the most as well. He went 10 of 15, 68 yards. He was sacked three times. Nick Mullen, Nick Mullen, excuse me, Mullins, had the best night, 7 of 9, 94 yards with a touchdown, an average of ten over 10 yards per completion. He had a quarterback rating of 147. Well, at the very least, the receiver made couple receivers more so made some noise but a big receiver that everybody was talking about after the game was dj turner targeted four times three catches 58 yards that's an average of 19.3 long of 34 with a tub demarcus robinson the person that i believe will be taking over the third number or yeah, the number three rather wide receiver spot for the las vegas raiders he had 28 yards on two catches he was targeted three times Going to be interesting to see what happens with this wide receiver room. I think you may be able to know kind of what's going on with the running back room, but this wide receiver room is going to be so different. It's going to be so unique. We're going to see how many Raiders, how many wide receivers the Raiders decide to put forth and bring into the regular season. How many are going to be on the practice squad? Are any going to be on the practice squad? We're going to figure it out in short order. The Raiders are 2-0 this preseason. Raiders are 2-0. I did some research, and I'm open to being wrong. I haven't checked with Will Kiss or Cameron Russo of the Raiders. Shout out to you guys. Um, I racked my brain <laughs> all day trying to figure this out, but I don't believe I've seen it. I've seen a lot of one losses, things of that nature, but I saw a loss at all points. I do not believe the Raiders have ever gone undefeated in the preseason. I don't believe the Raiders have ever gone undefeated in the preseason. Right now, they're 2-0, and and perhaps their biggest pre... Is there such thing as a biggest preseason game? Their biggest preseason game is next. It's expected to be the dress rehearsal against the Dolphins in Miami. The game is scheduled for Saturday, August 20th. Kickoff is set for 4 p.m. Our time. 4 p.m. our time, guys. So it's 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So... While the Raiders are looking to improve their record in the preseason, the preseason of the National Football League, the Indoor Football League, the IFL just concluded their season. In fact, their first championship game from the Dollar Loan Center. I was in attendance. Matt and I actually went. Shout out to my guy, Matthew Raftery. 
Matt and I went and first of all, shout out to the plug <laughs> is what I'll say. Shout out to the plug for blessing us with those tickets. Uh, I went ahead and, and took a look at the stubs that were sent over. And just from covering games in the Dollar Loan Center, I, I, I kind of learned a little bit about how the stands work. And when I saw that it was row C, I said, okay, that's that's third row. Unless I'm going crazy, that's third row. It was third row, technically, because the first two rows are the benches. So we were in the front row. We were just behind the benches. And... Let me tell you guys, as a person who has never had an opportunity to catch an indoor football game as a fan, undefeated experience. That is by far one of the best experiences I've ever had. Uh, being that close, obviously, if you guys are fans of the game, you understand the energy level on both sides. So I'm talking after every score, after every penalty, after anything that you would want to see in a football game. Picture being next to two benches, playing for a championship, and it's maybe six feet of space separating them. Unbelievable game to watch. Unbelievable scene to be a part of. Northern Arizona ended up taking the IFL championship, the inaugural IFL championship from the Dollar Loan Center. Keep that in mind. This is the first year that they've had a neutral site championship game. It was a 47 to 45 finish for Northern Arizona over Quad City. I told Matt, we were sitting next to each other, and I told Matt during the game, I said, to be honest with you, Quad City can't stop anything. They just can't stop Northern Arizona. That's ultimately what it looked like. It looked like they couldn't stop Northern Arizona. In fact, Northern Arizona starter Caleb Barker, he only had to complete nine passes, three of which were for touchdowns. He went 9 of 14, 97 yards. He did rush for a touchdown as well, in case you guys wanted to know what all Caleb Barker can do as a dual threat. He did rush the ball 16 times just to give you guys an idea about it. But three touchdowns were scored through the air. Three touchdowns were scored on the ground. Caleb Barker accounted for four of those. EJ Hilliard on the other side, he did have four touchdowns. He went 7 of 11, 123 yards, four touchdowns. He was sacked three times. Now, that proved to be the difference. If anybody watched that game or watching that game wanted to or didn't know what the difference was, it was the same person who's been a difference maker all season long. Jaquan Artis, and I, I'm not sure if it's Jaquan, but Jaquan Artis, defensive rookie of the year, right? Defensive player of the year. And I'm going to say held in check, held in check for the first three quarters. And then he could be held no longer. He had two sacks in the second, or excuse me, in that fourth quarter. And he took home not only an IFL championship, but he took home MVP honors from the game. What a hell of a rookie season for Jaquan Artis. I just counted it out. Defensive rookie of the year. Defensive player of the year. 
IFL Super Bowl or IFL National Champion. Two sacks in a championship game that earned you the MVP. I don't know if we've seen a better first year in the IFL for a defensive player. Hell, probably for anybody at this point. To see the animosity is the word that I'm going to use during the game play out on the benches, right? And you have players that aren't even in pads that are their job is to kind of keep the, the sideline juiced. There were some things ex- exchanged back and forth, some words exchanged back and forth. People in the stands were getting into it. And then a moment that the clock struck zero, the camaraderie. The, the football camaraderie of everybody on that field showed. Um, I'm talking just moment after moment after, after moment. Ulrich Jones literally dropped to his knees and had was, was overcome with emotion. Multiple members of the Quad City Steam Wheelers approached him and, and congratulated him on his championship game performance. Vegas played both of these teams during the regular season. As a matter of fact, Vegas beat Northern Arizona. Northern Arizona had four losses on the year. Four losses on the year. One of them came to the Vegas Nighthawks, and it came in a 22-9 fashion. I believe that is the lowest output of anybody in the IFL this season. That Vegas Nighthawk defense showed up to play in this inaugural game, or in its first game ever in this inaugural season. They also played Quad City, and they lost by one. So I believe later this week I'm supposed to speak with head coach Mike Davis now that the IFL season is over as a whole. And we're going to discuss how he feels about the team considering or how he feels about where the team is considering he just watched the IFL championship play out between two teams that the Nighthawks played well this year. I do think it's important to mention Northern Arizona went from winning 13 last year to winning a championship this year. I'm not saying the Nighthawks will do it. I'm just saying it can be done. Again, guys, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining our Monday episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. I'm in, I'm in studio by myself. I am dolo today. I thought I would be out of here about 15 minutes early, but I didn't place one of the phone calls. I didn't bring the speaker today, so I didn't place one of the phone calls uh, that I was going to place today. However, We may get out of here 30 minutes early at this point now. Maybe a little more. I'm not sure. But we have baseball to get to. We got a, we got a lot of baseball to get to. We got to talk aviators. We need to talk athletics. Got to talk Padres, right? I didn't expect to talk Padres, but my dad wants to, so let's do it. In case you guys are following baseball, you guys know exactly where I'm going. If you are sitting here thinking, are you going to talk about that? Yes, I am. The answer is yes. 
<laughs> it looked better than getting swept in six games, but the Aviators returned to action with a seven-game series this past week against the Tacoma Rainiers. They took four of, of the seven. They went four and three during the stretch, including three straight wins in the middle of the series, including sweeping the doubleheader on Saturday. So plenty of things that I want to kind of run through, but I do want to take you guys kind of through this series. I have my notes right here. I want to take you guys through the series and let you guys know some of the highlights or lowlights of this Aviator Rainier seven-game series. Now, the losing streak ended on Tuesday. The Aviators won the series opener. Starter Parker Dunchy had to be gifted a couple of a couple of uh leads before he was finally pulled from the game. But after a four-run first inning, the Aviators took a four-nothing lead or handed a four-nothing lead over to Parker Dunshi. By the bottom of the fourth, that entire lead was evaporated off of a two-run home run that tied the game at four apiece in the bottom of the fourth inning. Parker Dunshi only went five. He went five. He allowed four off of six hits. He struck out one and walked four. Parker Dunshi did start the final game of this series. We're going to get to Parker Dunshi and some of his uh, just roller coaster season. I feel like I keep saying that when it comes to Parker Dunshi roller coaster season, but it keeps happening. So as long as it keeps happening, I'm going to keep talking about it. Parker Dunshi at that point of the year was five and nine with a seven point three six ERA. That was his second win in his last three starts. Big moves for somebody who had actually went, I believe, a couple of months without a win. So important to mention. What's up, mom? Important to mention that Parker Dunshi. Did get a second win in three starts with that series opening win. Wasn't so lucky in a series finale. We'll get to that in a second. And did I say series finale? Yeah, that was Sunday. I thought I was tripping. So, Wednesday, the Aviators get back. Well, they go backwards, I should say. They go backwards. They only have three hits. Just just not a good night for Aviator hitting. In fact, they get shut out three to zero. The first eight batters were retired in order. Their first base runner of the game was via a walk, so they weren't even swinging the bats early just to to, to, to kind of highlight certain things for you guys. But they had another stretch where they retired seven in a row. Sheldon Noisy eventually got a one-out single in the top of the six, but that would serve to be the team's last hit of the game. Not only that, Sheldon Noisy in the sixth inning went on to be the final base runner of the game for the Aviators. 11 straight sat down after that. 11 in a row were sat down after Sheldon Noisy's sixth inning hit. Colin Wilde suffered a back to, or suffered a loss for back-to-back games. He did, however, log his fourth quality start, fourth straight quality start, excuse me, and now 17 of his 19 starts have been quality. Okay, so if you guys are watching on Facebook, I literally just had my allergies attack my right eye, and I hope it doesn't go nuts. But also, too, uh, I'm on Facebook Live right now. You can kind of see my face swelling a little bit. Um, I have an ingrown hair in my beard for anybody who cares. <laughs> so that's why uh, you see my face swelling a little bit on the other side. Um. Yeah, man. <laughs> welcome to Vegas and welcome to the dry desert. 
if you don't take care of ingrown hairs, they will swell under the skin. So be careful with it. Thursday, starting pitcher Jared Koenig. Through 21 pitches in the first inning, he was down four to nothing by the end of that first inning. I said first, I'm sorry, second inning. By the end of that second inning. Darden Kelly. Darden Kelly did his best to be the knight in, the knight in shining armor. For the Aviators, he did hit two home runs on the night. He had a two-run shot and a three-run shot to give the Aviators a five. Four lead. That was the first lead of the ball game for the Aviators, and in fact, it was short-lived as well because that game, that go-ahead rather, home run occurred in the top of the sixth inning. The bottom of the sixth inning, three of the first four reached for the Rainiers. A run eventually scored on a double to tie the game at five. Koenig was out with that, but reliever Jacob Lemoyne just just didn't have a good outing just in fact it was one of the worst outings that he's had this season he gave up and this is in order guys he gave up a two-run triple an rbi single a walk another single an rbi ground out and an rbi single all off of reliever jacob uh jacob lemoyne before the aviators eventually dropped that game 12 to 8 they were down by as many as 12 to 5 so that was seven runs that they were down by at one point in time And now you have this win streak come about. At this point, the Aviators are down in the series one to two with four games left to play, and they need a spark. They get that spark from Dermis Garcia. He goes that six-game stretch with an RBI in each of the three games. He has a total of six RBIs in those three games. And, in fact, he extended his hitting streak to five games during that win streak. Let's go ahead and tell you guys how he did it. That Friday win, it was a 5-4 win over Tacoma. They jump out to a 5-1 lead on the strength of a big a big seventh inning. It was a five-run seventh inning for the Aviators. Shay Langoliers drove in the go-ahead RBI on a single to go up 2-1 before Dermis Garcia smacked a three-run home run with two outs to put the Aviators up 5-1. That was a part of his one-for-five night with a home run, RBI run scored, and a strikeout. Norhe Ruiz got the five-out save. He struck out two. He did walk one. In fact, he got out of a couple of jams. After the Aviators took that 5-1 lead, a three-run home run would make the deficit one for the home team before Norhe Ruiz would shut the door in the last two innings. In fact, he had second and third with one out. He did get the fielder's choice out at home plate before getting the ground out at first to get out of the jam. Speaking of jam, he did it again in the bottom of the ninth inning with a one-out base runner who ended up being left stranded after back-to-back strikeouts to end the game. Tacoma left 20 runners on base Friday night. Don't look at Tacoma like they're crazy. The Aviators left 20 as well. So there was a 40 combined runners left on base in this Friday night game. For the doubleheader on Saturday, you had two seven-inning games, both of which the Aviators won. The Aviators scored nine runs in that shortened seven-inning game on uh, on Saturday. In fact, they did it powered behind 
big home runs. Three of them, in fact. Two by the same guy and one by a familiar guy. Dermis Garcia hit his second home run in as many games during game one of that Saturday open or Saturday doubleheader, the opening game of that Saturday doubleheader. He had a two-run shot in the top of the fifth inning to go up 6-1 to one for the Aviators. In fact, that was the third home run of the game for the Aviators. The first two were both hit by the same culprit. Billy McKinney, formerly of the Los Angeles Dodgers, he now has 10 on the year. Billy McKinney and Dermis Garcia helped carry and catapult the Aviators to that 9-4 win, not to mention Adrian Martinez on the mound. Complete game, seventh inning. This is his third time going seven innings. This is his first complete game. He allowed four runs on five hits in those seven innings. He did strike out eight and walk two. He's five and six on a year with a 550 ERA. He had lost three straight AAA starts. His last minor league win, you have to go back to Juneteenth, guys. June 19th was his last win in the minor leagues. To cap off that doubleheader, the, the Aviators won a third straight game to get to 500 on Saturday night. In fact, we keep saying same culprit right now. Bo Taylor, who was actually a part of this Aviator team a couple of years back, I believe in 2019, Bo Taylor, he picked up an RBI in the top of the second, which is actually his second RBI in his five games since returning to Las Vegas. Now, when I speak of same culprit, I'm talking that guy, Dermis Garcia. He knocked in another run with an RBI single with two outs in that top of the second inning as well. That extended his history to five games. Ty Damron, and I really hope I didn't just pronounce that wrong, but Ty Damron uh, made his AAA debut. He went four innings, allowing two runs on four hits. He did strike out six and walk two. Another five-out save. For Aviator pitching. This time it was Aaron Brown with a five-out save. That's the second five-out save in the last three outings for AV for the Aviators. He did strike out three and give up a hit in his one and two-thirds innings of work while Miguel Romero did pick up the win, his first win of the year. The finale was a nine-to-one loss for the Aviators. And just plain and simple, this was probably I understand that 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 what was that? That was Wednesday's game was just ugly because they had three hits, right? This game was ugly for a lot of different reasons. At least they had good pitching in that game. They didn't have too much of anything in this one. The Aviators give up, what was it? They gave up eight extra base hits. They only gave up 11 hits in the game, eight of which were extra base hits. That's a recipe for disaster. Let me tell you guys how many of them were home runs. Parker Dunshee just had an issue with it. He gave up two home runs in the bottom of the third inning. One was a solo shot with one out. The second... Home run came three batters later. It was a two-run shot to put Tacoma up 3-0. He gave up his fourth home run of the game in the fourth, or excuse me, in the sixth inning to Drew Ellis. Drew Ellis actually he hit two on the night. So Parker Dunshee gave up four home runs on Sunday, two of which came to the game to came to the same guy. This season in 97 and one-thirds innings pitched, Parker Dunshee has given up 30 home runs. He, of course, leads the team in that category. With the loss, he's 5-10 on the year, ERA of 7.58. I believe Parker Dunshee's ERA has hovered around between 7 and 12, like all season long. A lot of people may wonder, well, why is he still with the Aviators? Why is he still in the, in the Oakland organization? Because Parker Dunshee has proven to be a workhorse. 
the only issue is you just don't know which Parker Dunshee you're getting. So for now, it appears that the Aviators are fine with that. The Oakland, the Oakland Athletics appear to be fine with not knowing which Parker Dunshee they're going to get. Because let's be honest, when he's right, Parker Dunshee looks pretty damn good when he's right. He did give up seven runs on eight hits in five and two-thirds innings that last time. His control continues to be an issue. He had three walks to his four strikeouts. 55 and 56 on the year. They are second in the PCL West. Regular season winding down, and it's winding down rapidly. They are eight games out of first place with Reno. Keep in mind, guys, they still have a lot of games against Reno this year. So who knows what can happen? They do still have a chance. In case you're wondering at home if I'm going to hit this panic button like Matt said, I told you guys I'm throwing it on the field. It's on the field by now. It's, it's on the field. It's on the mound. It's something. It's out there. I need people to realize that something may have gone wrong with this aviator season, but they still do have time to make it work. They do have to look a little bit closer in the rearview mirror because the Salt Lake Bees are only two games behind the aviators for second place in the PCO West. I do think it's interesting to mention, I've mentioned it all year long, run differential. <laughs> run differential has been so huge for this team because the aviators, plain and simple, they haven't excelled in that category. In fact, they're minus 65 in a run differential category. Despite being in second place, they have the fourth. Is it the worst? <laughs> I guess that would be second worst. Second worst run differential in the division. They have they're number four in terms of run differential. Salt Lake has a better run differential than them. And Tacoma has a better run differential than them. So one, three, and four have a better run differential than two. Nobody likes to lose 19 to three, right? Over the next week, they'll play Sacramento six times, three of which will be on the road, which is where they're at now. In fact, in about two and a half hours, the Aviators will be officially starting their Three-game series with the Sacramento River Cats. I believe it's Sudden Health Park. Just a random thought in my head. I believe the River Cats play at Sudden Health Park. 6.35 is the scheduled time for first pitch. It will be three games in Sacramento before they close out this week with three games up in the Valley. In case you guys want to be a part of it, Friday and Saturday night is promotional nights. You have an aviator t-shirt Excuse me, on Friday. You have a free hat on saturday so it gives you an idea about where you can be this weekend coming up and to be honest looking at these standings it kind of gives you guys an idea also about how much you can be a help to these aviators during their final stretch of their regular season that three game homestand or excuse me that three game series against Sacramento starts a nine-game homestand, which they will take on Sugarland for six after that before heading back to the road. After this nine-game homestand, you only have 12 more opportunities to catch your aviators. I suggest you guys do so, especially being here in the Valley, being a baseball-driven city. I think it's important to get out and support your aviators.
Well, the Aviators haven't been losing recently. That's all that the Oakland Athletics have been doing, unfortunately. The Athletics have lost, what is it now? Is it nine straight? Eight straight. They've lost eight straight games, third straight series sweep. Last time we talked, I told you guys about them losing back-to-back games in the two-game series, the Battle of the Bay series against the San Francisco Giants. They followed that up with losing all three games to the LA Angels, and then they followed that up by losing all three games to the Houston Astros. In addition to that, they were shut out twice, once by the Angels, once by the Astros, including an 8-0 clubbing by Houston. This eight-game losing streak is the longest active streak in Major League Baseball. I mentioned those three sweeps earlier, San Francisco, the Angels, and Houston. It sends the Athletics to a 41-74 and overall record. They are last in the AOS. Doesn't appear that they're moving up. I know that there was a little bit of time where I think they have maybe, I think the, the deficit or the, uh, yeah, the deficit in the standings was at one point three games. Three games, I believe, for, pardon, for the... Angels over the Athletics to see if the Athletics would not finish necessarily in last place in the AOS, but maybe they would climb up to the second, I mean, to the, to the fourth spot, maybe the third. It's not going to happen. But possibly they could have got that fourth spot, and as of now, that's looking pretty bleak. They are now 33 and a half games out of first place, 20 games out of the wild card spot, but they're 23 and a half, or excuse me, they're 10 and a half behind the LA Angels. I've said it all season long. Talk to anybody who knows baseball, they'll say it starts at the top. So they'll say that the major league club, they'll say the ball club at the major league level, and then they'll look down at the minor league levels and see where it's trickling down. And to be quite honest with you, these struggles were expected. <laughs> and these struggles were expected. I do believe that this Oakland team has given you guys maybe not a lot to cheer for, but they've they've given you moments to Hold your head. They've given you moments to understand that brighter days could be on the horizon sooner rather than later. We'll see if they can take advantage of a, of another shaky team. But they're headed to Texas next. They're headed to Texas for four games. That series also starts today. That series starts in less than an hour now. We are now 50, what is that, 57 minutes? 57 minutes. From the start, down in Arlington, 5.05 scheduled first pitch time. They just let go of manager Chris Woodward. Chris Woodward was just let go. I believe the the, the Rangers are in the midst of their fourth straight losing season. So, it's not a good look. It doesn't sound too good, right? I have my dad's tip in, and I said we may get out of here maybe 30 minutes before. That time just keeps moving up. It appears that we'll be out of here after this tip-in, guys, believe it or not. So my dad's tip-in for today. Maybe I'm naive, but I thought for the most part the days of PED usage was over with the Bash Brothers, Clemens, Bonds, and Sosa. Hmm. Dad, I think you can name a lot more names to that list. You can add a lot more names to that list. But... My dad mentioned he thought that those that that all of those PED days was over for all of those players in their alleged use and the admitted use by half of the Bash Brothers, Jose Canseco. But apparently, at least for a few players, it's still going on. 
And since the latest news of the San Diego Padres all-star shortstop Fernando Tatis will be suspended for 80 games after testing positive for a PE, excuse me, for a performance-enhancing anabolic steroid close to ball. And again, if you guys are counting at home or playing along at home, this is straight from my dad. How you spell that is C-L-O-S-T-E-B-O-L. Once again, it's C-L-O-S-T-E, excuse me, S-T-E-B-O-L. Like I said before, I know I may be naive, but in watching the likes of Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Juan Soto put on superhuman superhuman displays of monstrous home runs, I want to believe it's natural ability and dedicated training. But when something like this happens, of course, this is a blemish on a blemish on Tati's resume that will always tarnish his career. But who is he ultimately hurting? Or excuse me, but who does he believe that he's ultimately hurting? It's the Padres' title run attempt. We're winding down the regular season, and Tati's is one of the most integral parts of the Padres' hope for a championship. This is what I think is so powerful. What my dad said. Fernando Tatis not only let himself and his fans down, but ultimately he did something that no other baseball team could do to them. He took out one of their best players for their playoff run. For everybody else. I have nothing more to say to that. In fact, Dad, you put a bow on that in the most beautiful way. So I'm going to get out of here until next time. Guys, keep on talking. <laughs>